0: Weather's turning colder. The fall leaves are changing color. We are approaching October 31st, Halloween. And we're going to tiptoe to the holiday by talking a little Halloween Havoc 1989. My name is Jumping Jay. And as always, I'm joined by Tommy, Thunderdome Fierro. Tommy, good morning.
1: (laughs) Jumping Jay. Jumping Jay, how are you today, my friend?
0: I'm doing fantastic. I,
1: I almost, I I, almost wanted. I, I I almost wanted to spill the line. I, I'm a huge busted open uh, radio listener. I listen to it every day. Uh, Dave McGregor is a good friend of mine. He's a part of ISBW, and it's it's right here in the you know the New York area. And it's anyone that has one. So it's him and and Bubba Ray and and Mark Henry, Tommy Dreamer, Mickey James, Thunder Rosa. It's 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 on six days a week for three hours a day. And, he always starts, McGregor like always starts off the, the, pod, the podcast by saying, welcome to It Open on a Thursday. So I was, I was almost, I almost just stole his line saying, welcome to 80s uh, Wrestling Podcast on a Thursday. And I have to like, stop myself from saying it, but I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm excited for today's
0: topic because we're venturing away. You and I are WWF, born and bred. But we're venturing away. We're talking oh, yeah. about NWA, a little WCW today. A lot of future Hall of Famers were involved in this particular pay-per-view, so I'm excited for today's conversation.
1: Yeah, man, me too. I know we were talking off the air right before we went live, talking about how, you know, I, I said we're, we're kind of like coming out, coming out of our comfort, zone, our comfort zone a little bit, talking about WCW, because, I'm, like I said, I'm a WWF guy, you're a WWF guy, but it's interesting because there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. To this uh, pay-per-view, and what? And Halloween's right around the corner, so what better topic than the first ever Halloween Havoc, which was in 1989, and it was. Let me get the exact date up here real quick. It was on October 28th, 1989. It was at the Philadelphia Civic Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Now, Jay, I can tell you firsthand experience growing up in this area and on the on the East Coast, the Northeast. The WCW NWA fans in Philadelphia and Baltimore and New York, I mean, they were such, and New Jersey for that matter also, such hardcore, rapid fans. If you go back and watch this pay-per-view and see how excited and into it, it, it was like a smart mark crowd in 19, and I hate to use that word. I hate that word. But it was like a smart mark crowd in 1989 uh, in Philadelphia, like before ECW came around in 93, 94. I mean, you go back and watch this pay-per-view. And you can just tell by the reaction of the crowd. They're like They're like diehard fans. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in talking about this. The, the, the main event, like they called me Thunderdome Fierro. But the main event was a Thunderdome cage match. It was Ric Flair and Sting against Terry Funk in the Great Muda. You have to go back and watch this match after this podcast. It, it, it's really something else. The cool part about it is that the special guest referee, for this mess. Remember this is nineteen eighty nine, Jay. Bruno San Martino was fresh off of leaving WWF at the time.
0: Yeah, it, it was a pretty big get. They they gave him the moniker, the living legend of wrestling as they introduced him to come be the special referee of that over the top uh main event. And so I'm excited to get to that point. I, I think the wrestling fans were so rabid for this event because back here in the late I would say for most of the NWA WCW lifetime fans viewed the NWA as more of pure wrestling and they viewed kind of WWF as kind of the -the over-the-top circus and I think this pay-per-view is no different once we get into the matches the match length the kind of style of wrestling that was seen on this pay-per-view we'll understand why this was more viewed as the pure wrestling show and not the -the over-the-top because Halloween Havoc, as we know it today, uh, as we knew it through the late 90s, early 2000s, it was very over the top, uh, decorated to the core, a lot of stage stuff. This was a very plain presentation up until that main event, up until the Thunderdome. So I'm excited to walk through this pay-per-view match by match and make it to that main event. We're going to kick the conversation off, Tommy, with a longtime friend of the show, a voice, that we haven't heard in just a little bit of while. We're checking in with our good friend, Danny, from Butler, New Jersey. Danny, good morning.
2: Hey, Tommy. Tommy Jay, uh, always a pleasure. I I know it's been a while. Uh, uh, We we missed you, brother. I know. You you had some great, great topics that I wish I called in for, but uh, the the last few weeks have just uh, been rough. I first started off – well, my youngest, uh, he was he got a, a little a little sick, so I had a you know a couple of trips into the hospital, and then this mm. past week, uh, my my grandma fell in the in the you know fell into the hospital, and uh, she passed away two days ago. So it's a uh, oh, it's definitely been I'm a sorry, a, a tough uh, Danny, past couple so weeks. Sorry. So I appreciate it, but like I said, I'm at peace. Um, you know, like I said, you uh you know to to kind of get off topic a little bit. Like I think with two weeks ago, you guys had uh, the episode on the. You know what do you miss about the '80s most, And Like I said, you know, the last couple of days thinking about, you know, my grandmother. Like I said, she kind of got me into wrestling with my father. My grandmother, you know, she she uh she was born in Puerto Rico and grew up in Puerto Rico. And you know, knowing the culture that they, you know, Puerto Rican wrestling has, you know, she got into it and she kind of instilled it in me. And you know, I, you know, that's how pretty much I got my fandom. You know, so, those, like, those, like, I, I remember, you know, Saturday, watching Saturday night's main event with her, you know, going to house shows at the Garden. You know, she would always talk about, you know, guys like Pedro Morales that she admired, Carlos Colon. Um, you know, like I said, it kind of, you know, I, I wish I would have called in. You know, the, you got the episode last week with with uh, Paul and her son. That was amazing. You know, I said, like I said, I wish I was able to switch you guys. But, like, uh, this, uh, you know, the Halloween Havoc '89. I kind of vaguely, somewhat. I kind of vaguely remember it a little bit, not much. I remember like from '90 going forward. You know, I remember more from that. I, like I kind of vaguely remember the Thunderdome match with uh, with Sting and uh, Flair teaming up against the uh, Great Muta and Terry Funk, and like that was around the time I guess where uh, F- uh, Rick Flair and and Funk had that uh, had had their little uh, feud after. Um, Flair beat uh, Steamboat, and then uh Funk ended up attacking him, and they ended up having that I Quit match, which Flair won. Um, you know, I kind of think wasn't uh, if uh, Halloween Havoc, if I'm not correct, wasn't that like the uh, like the debut of uh, of Doom and Woman when they uh, they started their feud with the Steiner Brothers? I think you're, you're um, absolutely that, right. I, I, yeah, I kind of that's that's when, when when Doom they were actually masked at that time. So I I do kind of remember that somewhat uh but like I said it was a you know I said I like I said you know all of us being WWF predominantly uh that was you know that was our our bread and butter when it came to wrestling you know I was always still you know peeking into like TBS and and watch uh you know at that time you know it was still under the NWA uh uh anthem um you know the NWA moniker not really WCW yet but you know it you know turned out to be a you know a pretty big uh pay-per-view uh, going forward from that time. And like I said, you had some, you know, some solid matches. You know, you had the, you know, I think the Midnight Express was involved. I think you had, uh, you know, uh, Luger, uh, I think at the time, was the United States champion. I, like I said, I don't remember the full card, but like I said, the main matches, you know, I remember the Thunderdome match and the, you know, the Doom and the Steiner brothers uh, pretty much. That's uh, my, my, you know, my recollection of the first Halloween
0: Havoc. Well, first of all, Danny, both Tommy and I want to extend our our, uh, our grief with you, man. We we know that it's never easy to lose somebody that you love and somebody that means so much to you. And so, just please know that our thoughts and prayers are with you and your family. Um, and we appreciate Absolutely. you calling because we have missed your voice. And so, it's good to hear hear from you. Uh, and, is, and you're right on.
1: Sexy, that is a sexy voice, isn't it? <laughs> Danny's voice. <laughs> Listen. He's got, I've he's, said it. He's got, he's not only it, phone, he's got that phone sex voice, brother. Listen, man. Not only does he have a <laughs> good voice, but I will
0: tell you, the man. I've said it before. Extremely good looking. Like I was not prepared for how good looking this guy was when I met him uh, in New Jersey. Some guys get all the luck, Tommy. Listen, I, I've been I've been called I, I, I've
2: been called handsome before, but. But never have I been, you know, compared to a, by, a, a phone sex. I've never been compared to a phone sex <laughs> operator. That's a, that's a first, you know, so,
1: you know, hey, I, don't, listen, I don't know Danny. what to say about that. If that's a compliment or, or, or something else. Danny, you've never been, you never been told by a seven foot three man that you are a you are a before, have you? Listen. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, listen, in all seriousness, uh, thoughts of prayers your brother and uh and your family and, and we, we're happy you called and we missed hearing your voice man and i hope everything gets better And we look forward to talking to you next week
2: yeah absolutely like i said it's a it's a process like it's something that um you know it's just you know pretty fairly new to me i never had to you know experience this like you know doing all the le- you know helping out doing all the leg work with you know with all this uh you know you know with the grief and then you know doing arrangements so like i said it's a. Uh, it's definitely been a, a, a roller coaster ride, but, you know, I, I'm at peace. So, you know, I got to thank you guys, you know, for your uh, for your thoughts and prayers. And, uh, you know, listen, at least Tommy, listen, at, at least we know going forward that we're going to have some uh, meaningful football coming down the line uh, with our Jets and Giants. So sure. that's all. I hope they, they keep it up. <laughs> yeah, brother. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, guys. You guys uh, right. have thank a you. great weekend. You too, brother. You too, thank you, brother. brother.
1: Yeah, the, my New York Giants, brother, 5-1. It's the first time, Jay, since 2016. I can be excited for football again. Usually by this time of the year, my season's over with already. So it's very exciting that it is going toward the latter part of October, and I'm excited for football again because I am a diehard Giants fan, and I'm, I'm very, very excited right now.
0: I, listen, I'm happy for you, and I don't know if you know anything about the Minnesota Vikings, but our season is usually over by now as well. We've had very little to cheer about in our franchise history, no Super Bowl wins. Uh, if we get into the playoffs, we celebrate, um, and and we're off to a great start too. So yeah, it's a good NFL season for our two teams. What what what's your what's your record? I, we're five and one as well. Nice, nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, lots to so be yeah, this, excited so this,
1: about. So this pay-per-view is Doom's debut. I, I think that – I, I would like to talk about them for a minute. I mean, what a great gimmick. Uh, two great workers under a hood, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed and woman, uh, rest her soul. It, it, was, it was a cool presentation, especially Remember, 1989. It's a different time frame than right now, Jay. So you have these two big, black, muscled-up – Gigantic men with this white woman. I'm not saying it in a I'm not saying it in a racist way, but in 1989, it, 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 you weren't seeing anything like that. It was it was freaking cool. It was unique. It was different. What what was your thoughts on Doom?
0: Yeah, Doom is just a very first of all, it's a fantastic name uh, for a tag team that structured the way they are because these are two incredibly huge muscular individuals black tights black boots black masks talk about intimidating and at halloween havoc they have woman by their their side and they're taking on the very colorful steiner brothers who wear you know the very neon bright singlets so it's a great contrast visually but just the power of doom i I look at it as kind of like the uh, the road warriors kind of redefine tag team wrestling at this point in the business. They're two big, powerful guys, and so that was kind of like the new trend. People were trying to put together these power tag teams, and Doom definitely fit that bill. Incredibly intimidating-looking, very powerful, uh, and they had a great debut here against the Steiner brothers.
1: And listen, man, I, I, both of those guys were fantastic performers, and you paired them together. And again, like you said, with the with the black pants and the black, you know, the black hood and this this big jacked up guys and i think tell you what that match was really really good I, I was watching uh, Halloween Havoc Ignite at the store last week and that, that's what made me think of the topic to do so and uh, you gotta go back and watch that match too like that, that was a really 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 good tag team match Four incredible workers all in their prime uh, yeah it was really good man
0: it was. I, I, I watched this pay-per-view this week leading up to it uh, as well. And the thing that strikes me funny now as an adult that maybe as a kid I didn't catch, and maybe other adults caught it at the time too, is now, even though I know that Doom is Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, when you look at those guys, even though they're wearing masks, you can totally tell that's Ron Simmons and that's Butch Reed. Sure. And I don't know if other fans at the time, picked up on that or if it's just because i know that's who it is but yeah as soon as they came down the aisle and stepped into the ring the way their bodies the way they move uh what you can see of their faces through the mask it was very easy to tell now that it's ron simmons and butch
1: reed i wonder
0: if people knew back then or if it was just kind of like nobody really said much
1: I, I, I bet you i bet you they i bet you a lot of people did it because everything was such case they back then there was no newsletters and there was no well, there was a the newsletter but there was no like you know, uh, websites and text messaging and all that stuff. So, like, I want to I real quickly stick on that for a second because I want to talk about Butch Reed. Uh, this is after he left the WWF as the natural Butch Reed, and I was always a fan of that gimmick as well with the Doctor of Styles Slick. I thought he was extremely, extremely underutilized in the WWF he's
0: one of these guys who's incredibly talented in the ring, had a tremendous look. He should have gotten a big push or be utilized more. And so you wonder if it was just, you wonder what holds guys like that back. If it's just Vince viewed him as a mid card guy, if maybe his personality rubbed people the wrong way, but in ring, his looks his ability, you would think a guy like that would be, yeah, pushed to the main event level in, in, in the World Wrestling Federation. So
1: I'm with you. I'm actually looking at Butch Reed right now as we speak in my store uh, as we're doing this uh, podcast. I'm looking at a WWF program with Butch Reed on the cover of it. And I remember, uh, I remember seeing Butch Reed wrestle in the main event against superstar Billy Graham. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was a steel cage match at the Meadowlands Arena. But uh, he, he actually main-evented it. Uh, I know you got the Bolsheviks. We got butchered up here against uh, superstar Billy Graham. I remember that being the main event of the show one, one time. So, I mean, at one point, you know, he, he was obviously, you know, he was being used correctly. I don't know. Like you said, and then wasn't he supposed to – correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't he supposed to win the Intercontinental title and Trump, that whole situation with Honky and Ricky Steam and all that stuff in it? Something happened where he was supposed to be the Intercontinental Champion?
0: You know, as you're saying that, some bells are going off in my head. I think you might be right. I think he might have been in line for the IC title and then uh, something either political behind the scenes happened or an injury happened. But I think you might be right. I think I've heard that, that he was in line to get a run with that IC belt.
1: I'm curious. I don't know if we'll be able to do it while we're on the air. uh, Googling or finding out the reason why he was released from the WWF because like I said, I'm looking at him here. He's on the cover of the program. I I remember him main eventing a show against superstar Billy Graham. I I remember that talk of him becoming the intercontinental champion. He had a great heater with them with with slick. Something has to happen behind the scenes. Um, I'm not not sure what it is though. I'm going to, I'm going to while maybe the next call I'm going to dig into it and see what's going on with that.
0: Alright, you do some more research on that and we're going to take our next call all the way to Chico, California touch base with a good friend, Babyface Brian. We're talking Halloween Havoc 89, brother. Good morning.
3: Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I, I'll uh, I'll tell you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys remember when we talked to Slick, but uh, Slick was able to give us the lowdown on Butch Reed and uh, basically uh, Slick said that he was his own worst enemy and that uh He had no-showed a couple shows, and I believe the actual night that the uh, title was going to switch hands, it was going to be him, and he didn't show up. And then on uh, television, they actually showed a celebration from a taping the following day where Butch Reed was one of the guys in the locker room celebrating with uh, with Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk, yeah. Yeah,
1: I remember that. Yeah, and so
3: they they acted like it was – uh, that same night, but uh, Slick let us know that that was filmed uh, the next day at a, at the I, th- I think it was Wrestling Challenge taping, uh, but the Superstars taping that he didn't show up for. Uh, you know, the story was that Hogan said, "Well, what about Honky Tonk Man?" and they and they went that direction. So, so yeah, I, I well, totally Jay, agree. Uh, I was r- a, Ryan, a,
1: a... Oh, r- real quick. I mean, to cut you off, uh, Jay. I just wanted to say real quickly. Uh Brian pretty much just told us we suck at our jobs because the answer was on our podcast from the man that managed him and we didn't know it. Thank you, Brian. Listen, we're I'm, gonna make you the official yeah. the official histo- historian of eighties one from the podcast.
0: I'm glad one of us hey. paid attention during this thing.
3: Oh, uh, no no problem. Yeah, it was uh it was when we were talking to Slick and uh and yeah, I unlike you guys, I think that he was a tremendous talent and uh I was uh I got to see uh it, Butch Reed uh, three different events and I, you know, I only went to four live events and I went to uh, WrestleMania 3 uh, closed circuit and so I, I got to see a lot of Butch Reed in the, the high percentage of the, the shows I was at and and yeah, I think he could have fit in nicely with Slick behind him as his mouthpiece uh, and he could speak himself, but I mean that would have been a combo that could have had a, a great IC title run in WWF similar to Honky tonk in my mind. And so, uh, I believe he left shortly after WrestleMania 4. Um, so he was there from basically, I think it was, uh, uh, July, August of 86 up until, you know, March, late March of, uh, 88. But yeah, I was actually just watching the other day and I think I saw that, I think they have that Meadowlands cage match with, uh, superstar Billy Botreed headlining and, uh, and, uh, superstar, you know, hits him and and crawls out the uh, the cage door to win the match so so yeah he had a good run um as far as uh Halloween Havoc 89 uh I'm like you guys and like Danny I was I was WWF and didn't even I don't believe they even offered that in my area as a choice of something I could watch so I was you know unable to see too much NWA and I and I watched you know kept an eye on it in the uh, the magazines but for the places that had a choice, that was a real time period where they had an opportunity to pick up some viewership because you had, uh, SummerSlam right before that. You had Hogan and Beefcake up against Savage and Zeus. And it, Zeus to me was so much gimmick more than, than talent. And then, uh, you know, you had a, a Saturday night's main event, um, that was, filmed on Halloween and shown in November, but, you know, the Survivor Series, Zeus was involved in that again. So NWA is pretty smart with uh, taking a a holiday at an event, you know, not doing it on the actual day when you've got kids uh, going out and getting candy and stuff, but doing it the 28th and, and taking a slot where W D F you know, didn't challenge him. Like they had challenged him in 88 for bunkhouse brawl and, and they went head to head for, you know, Survivor Series in 87 and, and Survivor Series, you know, on Thanksgiving 88. But, um, you know, this was a, uh, an opportunity for WCW to crawl in there and, and, and take a hold of something that WWF wasn't, you know, basically utilizing, which was that Halloween holiday. So that was a real smart move to, to, to kind of grab that event. And then when you get, when you're talking Terry Funk, Sting, Great Muda, uh, rick flair that's it's hard to argue with the talent level you've got on a main event level in kind of a new new thing that big Thunderdome dome uh, cage match where it's it's you know going a couple of feet beyond the actual ring, ring to to hold them all in there so uh, i'll give them a lot of credit for for jumping in there with something that you know they had the only eyes in the business were on them at that so that was uh, that was real smart booking there, and you know, I watched a little bit of that match this morning. I've, I've seen it years ago, but not as big an NBA guy as, as you guys. So it'll be interesting to hear from other guys on the show who were, you know, invested in the product back then. It's uh, you know, total what Tom calls in or somebody that was invested in NBA. It'd be interesting to hear what they think. But you know, when you look at the the Road Warriors and going against. Uh, uh, Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey, which were massive. And you look at the main event and, and taking, you know, Bruno San Martino and, and having him be the, the special referee. There's a ton of talent and there's that, like I say, there's this, there's this smart move of getting in to a niche where the, the only eyes are on their product. So, you know, Tommy, as a promoter, I'm sure you appreciate WCW's foresight or NWA's foresight to, to do something out of the, you know, out of the comfort zone there.
1: Sure. And then also, you, you may you may mention of how they would, you know, they, they were smart. Was, if you remember, uh, it was, I believe it was, correct me if I'm wrong, was it WrestleMania 4 that they ran something the same night crossing of the Champions, or was that WrestleMania 3? But I know one of them.
3: They no, it was, a, a it was 4, and five it was... Yeah, it was uh, the very first Clash of the Champions. They ran head to head against WrestleMania four, but it was on uh, yeah it was- PBS for free. So, you know, that's uh, it's like when the WWF um, they went ahead and did Royal Rumble for free on the USA Network the same day as the Bunkhouse Brawl that same year. You know, in January I forget January fifteenth, January 16th, somewhere in there, where WWF is like, let's shoot, let's. Let's go head-to-head, but give it away for free. And then WCW said, you know, we'll we'll do the same thing against Mania. So it was a, such a battle in 88. And this seems like finally a, a little soft spot where WCW was able to get a card in there and not be direct head-to-head competition where they're fighting for viewers. But, yeah, good call. They, work, work. That's when Sting's Sting's debut was as far as uh, really – not debut, but that's where he was, you know, made a star is that uh, – that time limit draw, a clash of the first class of the champions head to head against WrestleMania Four. We're gonna
1: we're gonna label this Jay and, and maybe face Brian, the '80s Wrestling Wars. How about that? It sounds like a good little ring to it, right?
3: Yeah, man. I mean, they like I say, head to head, and uh, and good for them uh, to to do an event like that. And and you know, it's definitely out of all of our comfort zones. So. Uh it's, it's interesting real, real, real watching quick, that, that event. Yes, sir. Be-
1: before you go real quickly, what, what was your take on seeing Bruno San who was the WWF and WWWF for so many years? And, I mean, I, this is 1989, so, I mean, he was, in those recent years, he was a broadcast partner with Vince McMahon. What was it like for you as primarily a WWF fan seeing such a huge icon from the WWF in the main event as a referee for, for uh, WCW, it was, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. I thought you didn't really see that that much back then, you know?
3: No, it's a little strange. I mean, I I think he stopped broadcasting on superstars uh, and wrestling uh, in WWF. It was more around 87. And I know that he had wanted to push, you know, have his son, David pushed, and that uh, that was like an on and off again thing where David really not, never got a, a huge, strong push in WWF. So I'm sure that I know that there's been hard feelings or there were hard feelings for a long time. So I'm sure uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a uh, kind of a, a little grudge thing where he I'm sure liked the payday. But more than that, he probably liked sticking it to him a little bit after uh, after leaving not on the best terms. With uh, his son not getting the success he'd hoped sure. for and uh, and whatnot, so so yeah, it was it was definitely interesting seeing uh, Bruno I, I on lo- a, a, a team.
1: I got a little trivia for you too, Brian. I have had, and Jay, I don't know if you, if you know this, well, I know you, you might, but I've had both Bruno Martino and David Martino at past wrestling conventions
3: nice nice what did you i'm sure that um they were both pleasant to deal with if i'm if i had to guess i'd say that they were extremely professional but uh what's uh, what uh, can you tell us about those experiences.
1: experiences well i mean yeah class act probably, right absolutely and i know this is a little off topic it's about wcw halloween havoc but real quickly um when i was younger brian and jay i and i kicked myself in the ass so much because back then like, I'm 21, 22 years old, and I'm doing all these events with all these big guys. Like, I never took a picture with anyone. I didn't want the wrestlers back then to think that I was a fan or a mark taking a picture with them. And now that I've been in the business a long time and I look back at it, like, I I go out of my way now. If, if I, if you're, I don't know if we're friends of Facebook or whatever. But I go out of my way to take pictures with every single person I work with now because I've worked with so many guys in the past that I never had an opportunity to take a picture with because I was an idiot. Like Bruno San Martino, the guy's the biggest name I ever had on any of my conventions, one of the biggest icons ever in wrestling, and I don't have my picture with him. Bobby the Brain Heenan, I used him multiple times. Uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, I used him multiple times. Uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, Sizzly Albano, Nikolai Bokov, George Animal Stale. I mean, all these iconic names, and I, I never took a picture with any of them. So that's my my one big regret is throughout my years promoting. If anyone asks, do you have any regrets? My one regret would be never taking pictures with all these guys I had. That, I don't have no memories of them other than in my head. But uh, I, I wish if there was one picture I could have taken to circle back around to the beginning again, it would have been with Bruno because, I mean, it would have been awesome to hang that picture in my store me and Bruno from my wrestling convention. So I make, I think i point of making sure I take a picture everywhere I go with anyone I work with now.
3: Well, the question I'd have for you is if we're looking at that main event with, uh, Ric Flair and Terry Funk and Sting and great Muda, um, uh, if you could sign one of those four guys to the next wrestling convention, any one of them would be a home run. And, and I'm sure Flair's price is astronomical as is, uh, Sting being with AEW. But, uh, uh, and Terry Funk, I know he's he's getting up there health wise, and, and may not be in the best spirits or shape to do it. But uh, uh, I, I'm sure any of those guys would be just—you'd be on top of you, you know, just so overjoyed to be able to get one of those guys at the next convention if you're able to.
1: I'm I'm sure that Terry Funk is his health's not that great, so he's not traveling. But I mean, I can, you know, I can probably definitely get the other three guys. It's a matter of. You no know, budgeting, you know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a lot of moving pieces to it. So I mean, yeah, I, I I would be interested in any of those guys, obviously. And I'm actually working on uh, some names as we speak. Again, the next 80s Wrestling Con is going to be and and, and Babyface Brian. You have enough notice to save up your pennies, quarters, nickels, <laughs> dimes, and dollars. May sixth of next year at the in Sports Arena, 80s Wrestling Con 2023.
3: Defin definitely, definitely, yeah, you'll have to uh uh hire me and uh have me help you out in some way. Just ruin room and board and a ticket, right? So <laughs>
1: you know so you know what we can do? We can we can have like a um like a family feud type of game with with, with teams from the listeners from the Indies Wrestling Con. So like you have a team of five against another team of five and you're and you're like the you know, you're, you're, you're the Ray Combs of it. And you ask questions and we, we call it pro wrestling, pro wrestling family feud. I think I'm going to book that for, uh, next make sure I'm
3: being serious. So. Right on. And as we talk about, you know, all the guys you've gotten to meet, uh, just want to thank you guys for the opportunity to talk to all these great guys. You know, I've been able to talk to Demolition and Slick and, uh, Steve Lombardi and, uh, Barry Horowitz and and Bushwhacker Luke and all these wonderful personalities I never thought I'd have a chance to talk to in this world and got to do it through your show. So thank you for all the opportunities, uh, you know, in the last year that I've been calling in. And so, uh, like I say, I'll I'll, uh, stop hogging your time and listen to what you guys have to say the rest of the show. But thanks for uh, all that you guys do on here.
1: Thank you, brother.
2: Thanks, Brian. Have a great week. You
0: too. Bye-bye. So, Tommy, uh, Brian brought up SummerSlam 89, which was ran the the same year as Halloween Havoc 89. And he mentioned that maybe SummerSlam was a little more cartoony, a little more over the top, or Halloween Havoc 89 maybe was a little more pure wrestling. And that got me thinking, man. So let me lay this fact on you. The average match time for SummerSlam 89 was about 10 minutes each match lasted on average 10 minutes now the longest match was a tag team match with the brain busters against the heart foundation which went 16 minutes and 23 seconds the shortest match was mr perfect and the red rooster at only three minutes and 21 seconds so quite the discrepancy there but on average each match on that card lasted about 10 minutes On the flip side of that, at Halloween Havoc, the average match time was 14 and a half minutes. The longest match being the main event, which went 23 minutes and 46 seconds. The shortest match was Tommy Rich defeating the Cuban Assassin in 8 minutes and 29 seconds. But again, the average match length, 14 and a half minutes compared to only 10 on the WF side. Does that... Does that give indication that NWA, WCW was leaning more on pure wrestling and WWE was leaning more on showmanship? What's your thought as a promoter on an average match time of fourteen and a half minutes?
1: I I I would I would agree with you there. I think that uh and that, and that's why when the NWA or WCW came up this way and that time frame, uh, it got such diehard, rabbit hardcore fans because they were into the wrestling aspect of it more than the cartoonish, I hate to use the word cartoonish, but the, the, the entertainment aspect of it that the WWF was doing at the time. It, it was an alternative, just like when ECW came around, it was an alternative. Um, I, do, you, do you have that information in front of you? I'd be, I'd be curious to know how many matches were on SummerSlam. I know there was eight. I'm looking at the Halloween Havoc lineup right now. Uh, for that year. I know there was eight. There's eight for Halloween Havoc. How about for and SummerSlam? Ten for SummerSlam
0: '89.
1: Well, there you go. I mean that that right there, um, and and I'm sure, you know, um, not. I mean, I was there live to see it, but without seeing it on TV right now, I'm sure there was backstage stuff and all that stuff. I mean, it's a, it's a, a lot of different factors, but yeah, I mean, WCW Halloween Havoc '1989, um, <laughs> especially being in Philadelphia, it was definitely geared more towards the, the wrestling aspect from then, you know, the, um, the entertainment aspect. But yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, uh, when I do my independent shows, just to give you a, a peek behind the curtain, you know, I, I do them typically on a Friday night. So, and, and I cater towards, you know, children and families. So if I start my show at, and, and, and this is the one thing I'm proud of as far as uh, being able to get the timing down, because when I first started coming back last year, Um, you know, the shows were getting over past 10 o'clock, and I would see uh, you know, people leaving as, you know, the second half was going on, Just you know, not because they didn't like the show, it's because, you know, it's getting late, and the kids have to, you know, go to sleep, so like, I I cut back on my times of the matches, so, I mean, now I I got it down almost to a T where, you know, 9.30, 9.45, the shows are getting over now, as as a as, uh, as opposed to you know, ten ten o'clock, ten fifteen and that time frame is really, really important because you know, if, if you're at home at your home watching it as a kid and uh it's you know for years, right? And per views are on Sunday nights, right? I, I know I know they're switching over to Saturdays now, but for all those years and I'm I'm not sure those, I mean that's 1989, so I'm 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 just saying in general, um Kids have to go to sleep and go, go to school the next day. So the timing of a show, especially when you're on pay-per-view and, and when you do Monday Night Roll, and you've got segments and commercials, and like, I mean, timing is crucial for, for everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know I kind of went in a circle there, but I'm just saying timing is so important when it comes to a, a match and, and how long the, the match is. And you just have to keep in mind everything else that has to go on. It's a lot, of, a lot of moving parts, more so than fans or even us now.
0: And we're, we're going to jump into some more calls, Tommy, but an interesting thing, too, is Halloween Havoc, with the eight matches, had a runtime of two hours and 50 minutes, whereas SummerSlam, with two additional matches, 10 matches on the card, actually finished faster at a runtime of two hours and 36 minutes and so less matches go. but a longer pay-per-view very interesting we got two callers waiting on hold the first one just an old friend stopping by to say hi for the second time danny from butler welcome back
2: hey guys listen i know i just called but uh tommy i just wanted to mention to you uh uh just off topic a little bit uh um i, know I actually like to the, enjoy the, the the topic but uh that was a pretty what with the uh tribute to the British Bulldog where you put on the eighties Facebook, that was a that little whole segment with your buddy that helps you out with eighties wrestling, that was a, a pretty uh cool um conversation he had with uh Davy Boy Smith's daughter. I just wanted to touch base on, on that. And then, you know, since you guys already talked about uh Butch Reed, um I, I'm the one that actually brought that up to Slick back in December about the whole uh, IC title thing about him, uh, you know, apparently not no showing, and, you know, he pretty much, Slick said that he uh, pretty much, uh, he uh, be, uh, he marched to the beat of his own drum when it comes to, you know, showing up. If he didn't have a ride to a certain town, you know, he just wouldn't care. You He just wouldn't show up. So he kind of was his uh, own worst enemy uh, as far as, you know, not getting that uh, big push and
1: ended up going to Honky Tonk instead. Very very interesting, yeah. I, I, I Now that you say it, now I remember being on the uh, the radio show. Um, I remember him saying that. And, Danny, thank you so much for calling back and letting us know that. Uh, real quickly, I want to make mention, Jay, and everyone out there listening, uh, the interview that Danny is talking about uh, that we posted on our Facebook page a couple of days ago, 80s Wrestling on Facebook, uh, Ace Darling, a former uh, standout top independent guy in this area in the 90s and early 2000s to start his own YouTube show called Wrestling Then and Now. So if you go on YouTube and check it out, just type in Wrestling Then and Now, and he's been doing these awesome interviews lately uh, with tons of different uh, guys. He actually did Travis Orndorff before we did, Jay, and it was a really awesome interview. He just did Kevin Sullivan. Uh, he did Davey uh, Boy Smith's daughter. There's a ton Uh, uh, Jim Brunzel, a ton of content. Uh, Great interviews uh, from uh, Ace Darling, Mike Moraldo on Wrestling Then and Now on YouTube. So definitely uh, go on there, subscribe, and check that out.
0: Yeah, there's so much material that 80s wrestling fans were so hungry for all of it. And so, yeah, if you have somebody that you know that's out there interviewing and getting great stories... Our listeners are going to be thrilled to have another outlet to go check out some behind-the-scenes stuff and just some uh, candid interviews with some people that impacted the business and our lives yeah. as fans.
1: He, he's killing it, and I, and I know our next caller is Toto Atom. Uh You can get him on now. Toto Atom has actually been texting me how much he's been enjoying these interviews as well. We can get his uh, take on that. Again, it's Wrestling
4: Then and Now
1: on YouTube.
4: Toto Atom, what's going on, man? Hey, guys, bring back Ace. Bring back Ace. <laughs> I
0: talked to Tommy about that a few weeks ago, if he's ever going to step back into the ring.
1: Well, he, 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 will, he will be the special guest GM for the night next Saturday night when ISPW makes its debut in Avenel, New Jersey. And uh, tomorrow, Jay, we'll talk about this later on the show. Tomorrow is ISPW Harvest Havoc. And, and what a fitting name for the show. During today is Halloween Havoc 89 here on 80s Wrestling Podcast. Tom, I knew you grew up a big NWA slash WCW fan from that time frame. And Halloween Havoc coming up there is one of your favorites.
4: Yeah, it was a special uh, pay-per-view because it's like, as Brian the Brain was saying, it kind of reminded me of like Survivor Series, you know, it, it had a theme to it. Getting to the uh, pines that you guys were talking about, you were saying that the matches were a, a lot longer. Um, and I agree with you. It, 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 the NWA was always about wrestling, so the, the matches were longer. But if you look at this particular card, there was a lot of tag team matches on here. And I think when you run a tag team, there was even a six-man So when you run those type of matches, I think they're going to require more time anyway to tell a story. Do you agree?
0: Absolutely. I think that's a very fair point. Yes, there was uh, six-man tags. There was a number of tag team matches. And you need time to tell a good story. And even in your singles matches, you had guys that could just go. And I watched this pay-per-view, and the matches didn't feel long because they were – they were done so well that you were engaged with the action in the ring.
4: And look at the tag teams that were in there. Arguably the four greatest tag teams of all time. The Midnight Express, the Road Warriors, the Steiner Brothers, and um, I'm missing one. Oh, the Fabulous Freebirds. I mean, having those four tag teams in a pay-per-view, and I'm not even counting Doom, because Doom was okay. They weren't great. But those four tag teams are probably four of the greatest. Like, if you wanted to put a uh you know a top 10 list i know they would be in there for sure
0: yeah no argument there uh this whole card was actually as you go back and watch it was full of hall of fame caliber people in the the prime of their life when i saw terry funk come out for the main event terry funk is in phenomenal shape here in 89 and you just got the talent on this card was kind of overwhelming Uh, as I watched it back.
3: Yeah, the
4: announcing was also top level. Bob Caudill was uh, in the broadcast booth with Jim Ross. You had Gary Michael Capetta doing ring announcing, and even Gordon Soley was like the interviewer. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. really, you're looking at top, top names in this wrestling industry. And, yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the Halloween Havoc, I think, a couple years later when it was uh, Cactus Jack against Vader. I think that was probably one of my more my more favorite ones, but yeah, I always enjoyed it. And we're going to see it this weekend too with NXT Halloween Havoc. And um, I'm actually going to give it a look. I'm actually going to give it a look because one of Tommy's own is going to be involved with NXT, the Prince of ISPW. Oh yeah, man. Dave LaGreca, they announced it
1: on Tuesday, Jay. Dave LaGreca is going to be on the pre-show for WWE's NXT Halloween Havoc this Saturday. I'm super, super pumped for it. And the only thing that sucks is that he was supposed to be at our ISBW show tomorrow. He's the manager of uh, Rick Recon. Unfortunately, you know, WWE has to fly him out there. He's actually doing a live busted open Saturday morning from the Performance Center. He's going to be doing interviews with NXT guys on the show on Saturday morning. And then uh, he's going to be on the panel for the NXT pre-show at nighttime. So, yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to check that out too, man.
4: Hey, Jay, I was thinking about you the other day because uh, Vice had a great tree on AWA wrestling. And I was just wondering or or hoping, did you get a chance to see it? I did see it.
0: I did watch it. I'm going to be honest with you. I... I felt like it left a little bit to be desired because I have such a special place in my heart for the AWA. And I, I get it. The guys are sitting at the round table. They're telling the far out wacky over the top stories. Um, And so while I enjoyed it uh, at the end, I felt like maybe it could be have been done a little differently, but that could just be sticking up for, you know, the Minnesota AWA.
4: I agree with you a thousand percent. I felt the same way. Oh, I good! I yeah. read great reviews on it online,
0: and I was like, I must be just me. But I'm glad that uh, you felt similar.
4: Yeah, it's no different than Table for Three, or you know, there was another show that WWE did on Peacock. Um, yeah, I'd like to know more of the history rather than the stories. I mean, yes. you can watch a shoot, you can watch a shoot interview anytime you want on YouTube, or you can get them, you can buy them, right? So uh, the question I have for you, and, you know, I'm just asking you because you're, you're a fan. Um, and, Tommy, I, I mean, I'll ask you the same question because uh, it's regarding Hulk Hogan. So the way I heard it, you know, Hogan went to the WWF and Vince McMahon overtook the territory eventually, right? The AWA had to go out of business. So my question is, if things didn't go that way and if Hogan decided to stay with the AWA, Do you think that Vern Gagne would try and do what Vince tried to do by overtaking the territory? I mean, he had a larger um, regional coverage than the WWF did, right? He went from the Midwest all the way to California up to Winnipeg. Do you think they would have done the same thing Vince would have done?
1: I'll answer first if that's okay, Jay. Go for it. I don't don't think so because – uh, and I and I I just watched this uh documentary the other day on A and E and I'm catching up on the A and E documentaries, the, the WrestleMania one, uh, which was absolutely fantastic and it, it told the backstory pretty much how it all came together and how um you know, W uh Vince McMahon had the vision of, you know, you know, connecting rock and wrestling and just you know, getting in part of pop culture. And I think Hulk Hogan became so big because of Um, you know, MTV and because of, you know, um, the whole rock and wrestling connection. And I just don't think that Vern Gagne, not that he didn't understand that concept, but I think that, um, I don't think that he would have went that route. And I think that vision is what made Hulk Hogan so huge is because, he was, you know, MTV was the hottest thing in the world. Mike, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, Mr. T was the hottest thing in the world. Timmy Lauper was the hottest thing. Like, it was just the right formula, and it was magic. And I just, I just don't know if Vern Gagne would have went in that direction. I don't think he would have. So I, I think that Vince man's vision of what he wanted the WWF to be, I
4: think is what made Hulk Hogan so big. So, Jay, before you answer, um, yeah. that's interesting. That's interesting what you just said, Tommy, because um, I think it was during that show that they mentioned that Hogan didn't get over at first, right, with the WWWF, went to Japan, then went to AWA as a heel managed by Johnny Valiant. And then uh, Greg Gagne said, this guy is not a heel. He just came off Rocky, and we need to make him a babyface." So they started showing vignettes of Hogan beating up Sylvester Stallone in the movie Rocky Three, And he said that is what helped turn Hogan into a superstar in the AWA. So I understand what you're saying. Like Vince's vision probably, you know, was not going to be matched. But they kind of did have an idea of what they had with Hogan. And even though it wasn't what they wanted to do because they were based upon real-life characters, you know, they did use Hollywood get him over originally and i just thought that was interesting tom um jump in jay what do you think my two cents on it for what it's
0: worth is i would believe from what i know about Vern that he was a little more old school and so he may have been a little more hesitant to try to take it nationwide uh like vince jr did but i do think his son greg might have been able to spur the movement kind of like vince jr did after he took it over from vince senior i think maybe in the hands of greg the awa could have seen some significant growth i think vern was one of that old school mentality where you had to pay your dues he ran his he ran his training camp in an unheated barn and so i think he was very old school, pay your dues, be a good athlete first, wrestling over showmanship, where I think maybe the next generation and Greg could have seen more of the the Hollywood, the push, the the, the sizzle. Um, but that's just my take from an outsider. I'd love to hear what you have to say, Toto. Tom?
4: I mean, I basically, it just struck me because uh, I was reading um, uh, Tito Santana's book, um, Tito Santana's the commissioner for ISPW, And, um, I was reading his book and he and he was, you know, basically giving his uh, portrayal of his days in AWA. And, um, it was very interesting just to hear how close the AWA was to having, you know, Hogan as their champ. And, you know, if they did, who knows where history would have led. I don't know. And by the way, um, before I, I, I get off and you guys can talk about tomorrow night's show, which I'm very excited about, by the way. Um, Can't wait to see uh, the superstars of ISPW in action again. Um, I was talking to Meltzer last night. He gave Travis Orndorff uh, high marks for last week's episode, as well as Toto Tom. That's all I want to say. Toto Tom out. Nice. Dave Meltzer's listening. He's listening, Dave. Uh,
0: Tommy, before we transition to what's going on in your world, we're rounding the corners here. And so I just, I do want to get your honest opinion on the main event of Halloween Havoc 89, this Thunderdome, supposedly electrified cage. Uh, in my opinion, it seemed a little, I think the idea was unique and intriguing, but when you finally saw it and they kind of had the top of the cage decorated with like some Halloween decor, cobwebs and the spooks and all that stuff maybe seemed a little too hokey of a presentation when you actually got down to see it. I'd love to hear your, your impression of what that main event actually was.
1: It was a mush. It was a mall. <laughs> it, it was a great. <laughs> mess. I, I, I think, I'm thinking I'm picturing you as before the doors open in the arena climbing that fucking cage and decorating it with uh, Halloween garling and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> it just it, hey, the man.
0: presentation, I think, didn't live up to the hype. Is all I'm saying. Yeah,
1: I, yeah it is what it is. I, 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 I enjoyed it. You know, I, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the big blue steel cage, but at least they uh, they stepped out. Here's the thing: they stepped outside of their comfort zone. In 1989, doing something unique and different uh, that hasn't been done before. So you got to give him credit for that, you know?
0: No, it's always good to try something new. And this is by far not the worst idea WCW will come up with, as we know. Uh, but yeah, I thought the presentation was a little more hokey than I, I was expecting with the talent level that was in that main event. But it made for a very memorable Event and here we are talking about 1989 in the year 2022. So they did something right.
1: Sure, man. And uh, overall, like I said, it was, it was a really good pay per view. I know we didn't really, we kind of went all over the place on today's episode. That happens a lot with us. But we start talking about one topic and then it leads to something else or something else. But yeah, I, I would definitely. It's the Halloween season. Uh, you Go to the WWE Network. Check out the Survivor. I'm sorry, the Halloween Havoc 1989. It's a really fun show. And tomorrow, ISW having a really fun show, Harvest Havoc, at Hapakon High School in Hapakon, New Jersey. Uh, The main event will be for the ISPW World Heavyweight title, Justin Carino, defending against Bull James. What was scheduled to be a grudge match with the superstar, Danny Morrison, against Maven uh, is now being switched. Unfortunately, I received word yesterday from Danny that he is injured, and he's going to be out for at least until early next year, which... As a promoter, you never want to hear that because he is my Hulk Hogan. He is my top guy. Um, And I had a lot of things in the works planned around him. Uh, So, and threw a huge monkey wrench into everything I had coming up. So, I'm in the midst of uh, figuring that out. But he will be there uh, tomorrow to announce uh, his mystery replacement against Maven. Uh, So, again, that's tomorrow, Hapakon High School, Hapakon, New Jersey. 7.30 7.30 p.m. It's the Benefit uh, Cold Nose Warm Heart Dog Rescue. So if you're in the New Jersey area, a fun Friday night out. it be a hell of a show, and, and I'm looking forward to it, man.
0: Well, all the best to you. Keep me informed as to what's taking place, who's the winners, who's the losers, and where it all leads, man. I always love to hear the results.
1: <laughs> Thank you, man. And uh, we had our Halloween party last week here at the Wrestling Collector. With Doink and Dink, and it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Tiger Jackson, Little Dink, they 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 showed up together already because they came from a, a convention. So they they pulled up in their their outfits and just seeing them walk in, and Little Dink walking in, it was terrible. You have to you have to be there to see it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, our next signing here at the store at the Wrestling Collector in Stockholm, New Jersey, will be on Saturday. Uh, November the 5th with Raven. So I'm excited to have him. And like I said, this weekend, uh, tomorrow night, we have ISW Harvest Havoc. I had a pack on high school, a pack on New Jersey. And I got some other stuff working, Jay. Some big, big stuff. And we're going to talk about that next week here on the show. Next week on the show, uh, I'm working on getting the writer, the last match musical on the show. Uh, The one that created the content, because we've got a lot of big things cooking with that as well, so I'm, I'm we're going to probably do that next week here on the show. That would be
0: fantastic, because on my social media, on my Instagram, as I scroll through the feed, there's a lot of people talking about the last match that I didn't even realize uh, was involved, and so it's very cool to see the momentum that is starting to pick up uh, when it comes to last match musical. I think it's going to be even bigger than it is now. And I think it's going to be bigger than anybody anticipated, Tommy. So I'm excited to see this thing keep rolling
1: down the tracks. Yeah, man. So I'm going I'll, to, I'll probably get back confirmed later today. Uh, the phone's ringing off the hooker at the Wrestling Collector. So we're going to call it a day and we'll talk to you next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.